You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so we can live authentically and into our full potential. This week, we are joined by Holly Copeland. Now, Holly's got an interesting background. I'm going to tell you some of this stuff from her bio, and then you get to get into the weeds with me as we talk with her. But Holly is a certified human potential coach and subtle energy meditation teacher, sound healer, and Reiki master. She uses neurotechnology, Reiki, and tuning forks in transformative quantum healing experiences and in her coaching work. Doesn't that just sound great? Ah, so interested. As a scientist and biohacker, Holly harnesses modern technology and neuroscience to empower her clients on their path to human flourishing and upgrading from an ordinary mind to luminous awareness. She guides people out of the muddy waters of thinking mind to live in a flow joyfully and effortlessly from their own inner compass, their own stable ground of being. Now, who listening cannot relate to that phrase, the muddy waters of the thinking mind? I raise my hand, I can. So as a leader at the intersection of technology, consciousness, energy, and healing, Holly adds great values to us as individuals and our communities through her unique melding of modern science and ancient wisdom traditions. Her story is one of learning to discover the unbounded wholeness and natural mind of peace and calm that we already have. So with that, let me introduce you and welcome you formally to the show, Holly. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you so much for all the listeners listening. Well, it's my pleasure, truly. And I want to tell you, there's some of the things I wanted to talk to you today about. So I'm going to just tell you what some of them are. And then if you're thinking, oh, we should talk about this in addition or instead of let me know and we'll go that way. But I wanted to ask you some things about how your personal crisis transformed your professional life. I'm always interested in that as are our listeners. What you learned from tracking your brain waves, what you learned and why you even did it, um, how you combine that ancient wisdom and modern science, and then maybe one or two tips to enhance a meditation practice with the help or without the help of neuroscience and neurotechnology, because I know a number of our listeners and frankly, most of our podcast guests practice some sort of meditation um, because they found it personally beneficial. So how does that sound for some topics? That sounds great. Do we have four hours? <laughs> we have whatever it takes. No, we do not have four hours. But if it goes that long, I'll just cut it up into four episodes. How's that? Okay. It won't go that long. But as my listeners know, I like to start by asking our guests a similar question. And that is, Holly, if there's something that you do every day that keeps you focused on your own big dreams and goals. Mm. Something that I do every day. Yeah, I mean, I meditate every day, every morning. And 
I meditate to listen, to go within and hear the deeper wisdom because the deeper wisdom doesn't come from our conceptual thinking mind. The answers can't be found there. The mind is useful for navigating our day and you know lots of different ways it was useful as a scientist but it isn't useful in guiding your life <laughs> um your inner wisdom is and that's not in the thinking mind and that's what meditation fundamentally is about is going within to um let go of thinking and drop into this deeper inner wisdom yeah. I hear your friend talking to you in the background. I do. This is a dog next door, so I'm going to close my window. That's I'm actually I'm fine with it. Okay. My dog next door is actually my dog, our dog. Okay. Who will not be out of this room when I'm doing a podcast. He goes under a desk. I've offered him to leave, and he says, uh, "Thank you, no, I'm no. laying down." So <laughs> anyway, we are dog friendly on this podcast. Okay, great. Uh, yep, absolutely. So let me ask you this. What is the distinction? You, I think you started talking about this a little bit just now about meditation, but what is the distinction between our ordinary mind and that luminous awareness you refer to? Yeah, um, that, I, I love that question because what I realize now, you know, um, years into the sort of awakening journey that I've been on is that I was stuck in what I call ordinary mind and which I think... I think much of the world is, which is operating from the view of kind of going around the world, our attention darts, we think about things, um, but we actually don't know where to rest. We don't know how to be in the world without thinking. And I think we're fundamentally victims of the, you know, what I was taught in school, you know, the great phrase by Descartes, I think, therefore I am which I believe is probably one of the greatest misstatements there's ever been. Um, and it's caused more confusion in the world than anything because we are before we think. You know, you, you know, Sarah, your being before it's ever labeled Sarah or, or anything is here, is present, is awake and alive. And you know this because you know, you could be floating in space with no profession, no anything attached to, you know, what you are, and you'd still be here, right? You'd still, you're, there's an awareness, there's, an, uh, there's something that knows. And that being that knows, which, you know, is called in the various spiritual traditions, the I am, you know, the Atman, the, that awake presence, um, isn't bound by anything. I mean, to get to your podcast, No Labels, No Limits, we aren't bound beings. It has nothing to do with what we actually are. We're whole, we're complete, we're all-knowing, we're limitless, we're timeless. We don't come and go in time, right? Um, and so that luminous, what I call luminous awareness, is what you, I'm going to put it in quotes, what you really are. And when you learn to find that luminous awareness and establish that as the ground of your being, when you can actually rest back as the knowing being that you are, being before doing, before thinking, then you can, you can actually learn to, to live life from there. And it's living life from a whole different place is what my experience is. And this is what the Tibetans taught in some of their ancient teachings that I've studied. Mahamudra and Dzogchen, 
where you cut through this illusion that we're our thoughts, you step back and you can actually just be with what is as things arise and you develop this great spacious awareness. You develop the world. It's like, it's much more, it's much bigger. It's much, there's so much more infinite potential. We can create anything from this space when we're not boxed in to the ordinary mind. Nice use of words there, my friend. So, okay, but as you're speaking, not but, okay, and as you're speaking, a couple of things come to mind for me. So when you did the Descartes quote, the other one, it's not a corollary, but I think especially here in the States, I do, therefore I am valuable, I'm useful, I'm meaningful, right? So I think there's that tension also, like I think, and or I do, and that's my value, my intrinsic worth. So to get from, and I lump those into the ordinary mind, right? Thinking, doing, you know, it's like that back and forth piece. But to go from that tension and activity, and that's an intense activity um, and chatter, um, how do we start moving towards that luminous awareness? Is that part of like your meditate? Talk to us about the science because you're grounded in science. Yeah. Um, so how we do, there's, there's a number of ways to do that. I mean, what I would actually say is that all the spiritual traditions are pointing different ways to do that. And the Buddha said there were 88,000 ways. So there is no, I'm not going to say one way, but I will describe the way that has worked for me and the and that some of the teachings that I've been exposed to that I found especially helpful. And so in the practices of um, Advaita Vedanta, for example, they first describe this ability to, um, to recognize, the, to differentiate thinking from knowing, right? So to just notice so you all the listeners right now as well just sort of guide you through just a little inquiry here to notice like have you ever had a thought that's ever stayed in your awareness and if you want to answer that sarah feel free to answer that they circulate but they don't stay they don't stay right so no thought has ever stayed so thoughts arise in awareness and then they leave but they don't stay so you can't be your thoughts. How could you be a thing that, that leaves, right? So this idea that we're a collection of thoughts or that we're a thought, just we can actually debunk that right here, right now, just through inquiry of noticing that that's not our experience of being human, that this awareness, this knowing is actually the primary thing that's happening as humans. So like going back to just our fundamental understanding of what's happening here right now, as you and I speak, you know, information is arising in the form of sensations in your body, in thoughts, but you know, in sounds as we're speaking. But what if we just see all of that as information and we see it like more broadly as vibration or information arising to something, right? It's arising to awareness. And awareness itself is the one thing that will always be here, right? Because if I asked you, like, could your awareness ever leave you? You know? Can't imagine a situation in which it would. 
unless right. I was totally out of it, you know, like right. in a coma or something like a that. A coma might do it, but have never been in there. There might yeah. be some level of awareness that, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. No, right. And even like in a dream, if you wake up in the morning and you say how, you know, even when you're sleeping, you wake up in the morning and somebody asks you, how did you sleep? You know, right? You can answer that question. So just in that very inquiry, we know our awareness is even there when we're sleeping. Absolutely. So, um, and it so, doesn't require anything. No, exactly. So that's such a fundamental point is that awareness is here without our help. We don't, we don't need to do anything for our awareness to be here. We're okay, Holly, I got I just got this urge to ask you a question. How big is our awareness? So is, you're in Wyoming and I'm here, right? Wait. How big is our awareness? Okay, then I'm going to ask you a question. Such a brilliant question. Can you find an edge to awareness? I cannot. That's right. what prompted the question. It's like the minute I start thinking about you, I'm connected to you. Exactly. And I was, I've been thinking about a friend I know who's going through some tough time, totally different geography, miles, moon miles away. And I feel like we're side by side. Right. Which is the magic of the quantum field. So the minute that okay. we, we, the minute that we bring something into our awareness, it's here. We're not separated by time and space that that's actually fundamentally an illusion. That's what quantum physics is, is showing. And so this is where it connects to this science piece. So the ancient wisdom traditions do these beautiful pointings to show us awareness is unlimited in space and time. It doesn't come and go. So what we are is fundamentally infinite. That's actually what we're saying. And that's not a belief. That's not something I have. I'm telling you for you to believe. I'm actually, you're saying, no, that's actually my experience right now in this moment. And for everybody listening, ask yourself this. Is this a belief we told you? Or is this actually just your experience, right? Well, and the question, can you see an edge to your awareness? Right. That's, I mean, it's one of those filtering questions. Yes, no. Can you find an edge? If you can find an edge, great. But if you can't, then how can you say it's not everywhere? Right, exactly. And and no one can find an edge. If, if you did, you're caught in some version of mind because there is no edge to awareness. Yeah. And so, um, so through this inquiry, we come to the primal, this, un, this primal understanding that our awareness, our consciousness has no limits, has no boundaries, doesn't come and go in time. It also is does not have any judgments or opinions because you can ask yourself the inquiry, does awareness have any opinions about something? So you can just, you know, ask yourself, does awareness have any opinion about, um, you know, something, but what you had for breakfast today? So just, you know, notice that awareness itself, there may be a voice that arises that has an opinion about what you had for breakfast, but the knowing of what you had for breakfast, there's no opinion. Oh, it's just information. Right, exactly. It's just information. And that then brings this another amazing realization, which is that what, it, what would we call something that we can be with it no matter what's happening? It, it's 
unconditional to what's arising. So it's unconditionally accepting of whatever's happening. Okay, say that again, because that is like, that's so big that you said it's so simple. So say it again, because I think it's bigger and needs to be repeated. Yeah, notice that your awareness, and you can just, this is your own experiment with this, bring a thought, what you had for breakfast, and notice that awareness itself is unconditionally accepting of whatever is happening. It is, it's a pin drop moment. Because that means that every time you make a judgment about something, you're actually coming from conceptual mind, that it's the, a judgment is a thought created in the mind that says, I don't like this. You're having an argument with reality, but it's coming from your conceptual mind. <laughs> it's, you're making that up. It's not actually coming from the primacy of what you are, because the primacy of what you are is unconditionally accepting of everything that's happening. Oh, I feel like I just had a big breath of fresh air as I'm watching the wind back and forth outside. Okay, so that brings me to another question for you, Holly. When we have that judging mind, who is having that judging mind? Such a good question. Love that. Yeah. Who is having that? Who is having that that judging thought, right? Mm -hmm. And so so go into it yourself, you and everybody listening. Something is aware of the judging thought, right? That's awareness. Oh, yeah. So what does it seem to you? It would depend. So for me, like depending on when, when I actually sit with that, I mean, it's a sincere question of you because yeah. when I sit with that, um, sometimes it is me looking through the lens of a 15 year old, a 36 year old, it just depends. I mean, and so it's like, I might say, so when you said it's like judging mine is something I don't like or something I do like, but based on an experience, um, kind of an imprinted pattern, whatever, that then I go, oh, I like that or I don't like that. Instead of, you know, so what I'm leading towards more clarity from you on is to what de degree does my projection influence my experience and of awareness? So your... My inner world... You're, yeah, exactly. So all of that, that experience of like, it feels like a six-year-old or it feels like a 24-year-old, right? Or like, I don't know, it might be helpful if you bring up an example of something just so we can- could be like, okay, so, and before we went live, I was telling you, you know, we were talking about the name of the podcast, all that. So starting the podcast was a challenge I did for myself to combat negativity in the world. And also to say to myself, you can do this, right? It's like, no, 
you don't have a ton of experience, but you could facilitate a group, whatever. So th that chatter, it's like, you got to be sidelined, right? But that chatter did not originate when I decided to do the podcast. That chatter was already there from other experiences where people said, well, you're not as good as, or you don't have these, all these initials or whatever, right? So it was me consciously saying, yeah, maybe that's a lie. What if I just do it and see what happens, right? But so my inner world or those voices kind of things were like chatter, chatter, chatter. And, and then I think, but that was at a conscious level. I knew that, right? So then I'm wondering at the subconscious level for us as people, we're doing that not necessarily with awareness. So what do we do with that? Is that where we're in meditation and go? I mean, that's what I'm wondering about, like, your your organization your mind health alchemy and all of that like what do we do with that stuff holly what do we do with the the sort of chattery voices yeah. that are kind of telling us yeah yeah that limit yeah that limit so the first thing that we do is to just in this moment create space to see what it is so if you you just recognize there is a voice here who says, you, I can't do this, right? Who, as you rightly asked, who is saying that? Who is that? I would say one way to look at it that's useful is to look at it that there is a part in me. So think, do this. There is a part in me that is from which that thought is arising. There's a self-doubting part. There's some energy of self-doubt. Okay, fine. There's energy of self-doubt present. And when we just that flip, that just there is the energy of self-doubt present and something is aware of that self-doubt. Now we've created space because now you aren't the self-doubt. The observer. <laughs> that's brilliant that's brilliant okay so now i want to switch over one of the things in are you okay with that if i switch gears great okay. go for it Sometimes i feel like i'm bouncing around but i'm just so excited about visiting with you okay so why did you track your brain waves for six months how did you do that and what did you learn yeah thank you for asking about my brainwave experiment so i was really I was this this was about four years ago and I was um you know in my career as a scientist working for the nature conservancy and I was tired of that chattering voice in my head and I recognized that I felt like I needed some space I needed to do something about it and I'd been one of those people who had tried meditation on and off for years, but had never been really successful. And it just was hard to sit and I never knew if I was doing it right. And I got to a point where I actually wrote at the top of my journal, my rewire my brain project, because like I was tired of this muddy waters of the mind. And I kind of took my scientist approach and I just started learning everything I could about brainwaves and brainwave science. And I read some amazing books, like there's a book called The Open Focus Brain by Les Fermi. And uh, he was a doctor who, a psychologist who, who helped people 
get into alpha brainwave states. And at the time, I didn't know any of this, but I learned that you know, our chattering mind operates at the beta brainwave frequency. So those higher frequency brainwaves. And it kind of feels like that, right? When our brains kind of, it feels like a high gear and we can't downshift, exactly. right? <laughs> and I, I really wanted to get out of it. It was my own determination to get out of the suffering. Um, and I read his book and he talked about that you can downshift into this alpha state of clear mind by shifting your focus from this kind of way that we tend to look at the world where things seem kind of narrow and pointed. And, and just notice that if you, for example, right now, just close your eyes and feel the space between your ears. And then just expand out and feel the space in the room that you're in. I don't know about you, but I feel an immediate sort of opening or relaxing when I do that shift. What do you notice? So well, first, when it was between my ears, my head started feeling really wide and up. And I started then I started thinking about Alfred E. Newman. Right. And then that made me want to laugh. <laughs> but when you went outside of that to beyond my headspace, it just felt relief. Right. Like, how quick is that? That was like 10, 20 seconds you know, um, and feeling the openness. Well, what he noticed, he put EEG, so he put brainwave cap on and measured brainwaves. And because he was trying to figure out how to shift into alpha, you know, because he himself wanted to help his clients shift into this more open state of relief, this place that feels more open. And when he put, he was like trying all these different things. And then he writes in his book, how he did this one thing where he imagined the space between things you could do between your shoulders, between your ears is my favorite. And he saw immediate shift in the brain waves into alpha, just doing that one thing. And I got really excited about this. I was like, that's so cool. So um, I got a, there's a, there's a brainwave device called the muse. It's a headband. It's a couple hundred dollars. And you put it on and it measures four different sites on your brain while you're meditating. And if you are in a more, um, you know, busy mind state, uh, then you hear a lot of rain. And as your mind quiets, the rain starts to go down, you know. So you're having the auditory feedback at, at the same time. Yeah. So it's a tool to, to learn to quiet your mind. And I put it on and I was like, I, my eyes must have been like bug eyed. I was like, oh my God, this is freaking amazing. Well, of course, Miss Scientist. <laughs> right? I was Tools. Like, I was like, really? Actually, a tool to help me meditate. So oh. I started meditating with this thing and using it, and it, it was working. It was really helping. And in fact, I noticed that like I had less thoughts. It was actually working, you know, the thing that I wanted to get out of the muddy waters of my brain. Um, and I did that for a few months. And then somebody, uh, some friends on Facebook, because I was posting my graphs on Facebook, um, they invited me to a, a subtle energy meditation class. And I started to do meditation, different kinds of meditation with them and learn more. I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of meditation and it's sort of a deep way. And and got into more deeper meditations and theta states. 
And there's a there's a this Muse headband that I described. There's an app that goes with it that you can buy for like $15. And then you can track your brainwaves like graphs. So you can actually have a graph of your meditation and see like what your alpha waves were doing, what your theta waves were doing as wow. you're meditating. And I started every day, I would do my meditations and I would track it. And then I, um, because I'm a scientist and um, I have some programming skills, I, I created a little program to bring all of that data into this program called R and create graphs to see how was, how are my brainwaves changing over this six months? I actually did it for two years. Um, and I watched as my alpha and theta, the brainwaves of calm and clarity started to go up. Like there was this clear trend, like I was increasing alpha in my brain and decreasing those busy mind. And over time, it really you know, I had the data to show and the personal experience to say, like, I, I learned to quiet my mind and I had the, the data to sh show me that that's actually what happened. Like, I literally changed my brain. So outside of your meditation, so you finish your meditation practice, you've done your science tracking, all of that, yeah. which actually I'm impressed. Um, what was the change or what were the changes in your daily living that you went, oh, I'm starting to see what's happening in meditation have an impact over here? Were you what, showing what, up different? Were, yeah, you, were you more yeah. healthy? All, all of that. Um, I, I found that I was showing up calm and I found that so by learning, this kind of goes with this luminous awareness out of ordinary mind, but in the calm, it was like, I call it stepping into the flow. And we talked about this a little bit before the show, like I was able to learn to, like life felt more like just floating down the river of life and letting things happen rather than feeling like I needed to take control and you know steer my boat all the time. It was like, yeah, sure. Sometimes like you make course corrections, but like they come from within, like they're not something I have to work at. Um, the answers seem to just sort of this knowing is it's intelligent. It, it is your, your natural being is already intelligent far more than the little thinking mind is. And so with meditation, which allows you to tap into this intelligence and wisdom that your whole being has, then it will start to guide your life in these mysterious, beautiful ways. And that thinking mind can just kind of take a nap and stop trying to run the show. And, um, and life is like much more easeful. It's like easy. My life went from being kind of hard and a lot of, I had a lot of judgment and kind of labels to use, you know, a lot of your themes. Like I, I used to go around the world sort of habitually labeling good and bad. I don't know why, just maybe it's my scientists, like how we're raised, like this is good. And this I think is, it is how we're raised though. I mean, it's like, go this way, not that way. This is better than that. I just think it's our way yeah. of orienting ourselves for, for feeling safe and secure. Probably. I don't know why. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a security thing because yeah. it's us trying to, 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 
to have some basic level of safety. And but so it's that's hard. Right. So that's the letting go. Yeah, exactly. So the letting go and the surrender, that's such a big part of spirituality, you know, is actually about, it's about giving over to this natural intelligence and recognizing that it's here and it's got your back. And if you can, if you, if you can release and relax this clinging to the conceptual mind that thinks it needs to know everything, and, and give over to this natural intelligence that arises, then that's where life just starts to carry you down and shows you where it wants to go. And it's got your back. It's not, it is you. So it's not gonna lead you to, um, it, it can't lead you to anything wrong if you actually are just following and listening to it. So you know that now because you've followed and listened, right? But at the beginning, you have this label as a scientist, you're working for the conservancy, you're doing all this stuff. Was there a moment when you, you know, like, I'm not going to make it like a big aha moment, but more a sense of when you said, I'm going to follow this wherever it leads. And there was another voice that said, what if you let go and surrender and you can't function? right? You're like, nothing happens. You don't have motivation anymore. You don't have, I mean, there's that kind of mentality of carrot stick, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about like work environment a lot, but not only that. So was there a point at which you just, did that ever come up for you, I guess, is the real question. I had all kinds of roadblock moments of doubting all of this, for sure. I mean, in fact, when I quit the conservancy, I remember the day after feeling completely untethered and like actually thinking because I like it's a big deal to leave a career you know yeah. it's like a career job right Huge. and I told them you know I, I I gave up you know had my closing day they had a big party for me so the first day where I didn't work for the conservancy anymore and I'm driving around my little town and I'm and I actually was like wow, this feels so uncomfortable. It feels so awful. I wonder if they would take me back, which is just like ridiculous because I just worked so hard to leave. And I actually was like having the thoughts of, I wonder if they would take me back. Um, I had so many tears and doubting and, um, you know, yeah, all of that along the way. Um, and I had a major health crisis also in the middle of all this. I, I was, I had mold poisoning in my house and I was dealing with that and being really sick. Um, and I, and I'll tell this story. And I was, it was about a year and a half into my mold journey. And I was, I was on the way to heal. We'd found the mold, we were cleaning it and all that, but I got sick again and it was on my birthday and I wake up on my morning of my birthday and I'm terribly sick. And I'm texting to my mentor teacher and I said, I just can't believe, you know, this is happening again. You know, what, you know, what, what, <laughs> what, what, what? give me some comfort what? here. And he goes, what are you resisting? And I remember just staring at that, like, what am I resisting? Like, what do you mean? This mold is like, this did it to me. I didn't, this is my fault. You know, like I tried to. <laughs> Those are the questions you just, if they were closer, you just want to slug them in the shoulder and go, right. what are you asking me for? I feel terrible. It's my birthday. Exactly. And, and uh, that I let that question, you know, sink in for like hang with it for hours and hours. And all of a sudden I realized 
that what he was pointing to was like, this was me surrendering like to something greater, like that, that there is some other wisdom here that's at work. And it was my job to just like, why don't I just surrender to it? Like there's something underneath. And I typed him back hours later and I said, this is about surrender, isn't it? And he goes, yeah, I <laughs> just, yes. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, you know. But when I got it, Sarah, it was like I wanted to tattoo. I actually talked about tattooing, you know, surrender on my arm because the power of that surrendering to something, to knowing that actually it's all okay. Like whatever that is That phrase right there, it's all okay all okay yeah yeah i know for me i'm attached to everybody feeling like i just my personality is such i want to make sure we're you know we're okay people if i'm with people i want them to be okay yada yada i've gotten over needing that i actually noticed that camping this past week with friends i was watching this gal go on and on about something and i thought you know what she's a lovely person i i really like her and i'm sorry that she's feeling this way at this moment but it's okay. It's okay. Right. It's okay. I'm okay with it. Cause I really like her and she's, I just like her heart, you know, right. and how she shows up. And I thought, Sarah, you don't need to fix or do anything, you know? Exactly. And that's like, that's awareness speaking. So awareness is relief. Yeah, I'm it's thinking. relief when we don't have to come and fix the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it isn't actually the, the, the thing, you know, I'll say that. And I'll say that the thing people think is that, well, that means you're not taking action and you're just, you right. know, it's not that at all. Spiritual bypassing. It's not that at all. No. no, I just felt much more love and compassion for her in that moment. I'm thinking this is a struggle for her, right? It's not a struggle for me because that's not my place. And I mean, that's just not my experience, my exactly. whatever. Um, but all of a sudden I thought, I just really love her, you know? And I found after I had that feeling, Holly, I just realized like, the last couple of days we were together, anytime we were standing there, I'd reach out, put my hand on her shoulder. I just felt like I needed to touch her. And um, she'd kind of just like lean in. But other than that, I would have felt like, I can't believe you're kind of going off like that. Right, right. And I love that story because like, that's actually what happens when we step into awareness and we can, we create spaciousness because we are stepping into what we are and we can be with whatever's happening, which means we're okay. And what I find is just what you said, love arises, love and compassion naturally arises in that space because that's what we are. Our natural being is love and compassion. And that's all anybody wants. Like every single person in the world, they want the same thing. They just want love and compassion. You know, they I think we seek it in different ways. We do because we're, we're, we are lack, where we feel lack is different. You know, different people missed something happened in their childhood that, that their pain, their, their version of pain is some version of lack that they didn't get. And so that's what they're seeking. But, but underneath that, I would contend that it's, it's all one. It's all I would one agree path. with you. Because when we can detach our opinions about things and just go, someone asked, they were struggling. It was in a relationship thing. And they said, well, haven't you ever been there? I said, you know what I try to do? And yes, of course, I've been frustrated. I'm married, right? You live with in the house with somebody. I frustrate my husband sometimes. Hard to believe. But anyway, 
I intentionally, we have a picture. It was our wedding picture. It's not of us getting married. It's of us as six and seven year, like first grade pictures. And people sign that. And I just said, you know what? I always remember that when I'm frustrated, or I'm angry. I'm not angry at that little boy. I'm angry something else. And I'm not dump. I wouldn't dump it on a six-year-old. If my grandkid came in, I wouldn't go, wah, 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 right? And it's like, it makes me take a step back. And that's been helpful. But back to you. Um, as we wrap this up, I do want to spend some time talking um, about heart, mind, alchemy, and how you help people. Because I try to think about myself, if I were to like knock on your door or dial your website, right? What kind of journey might I find or go on with you, Holly? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, everybody comes from a little bit of a different place. So I don't, you know, I'm not a one size fits all, but the theme is um, that I, I actually kind of, now my pillars are awaken, heal, and breathe um, in my coaching work that I help people awaken to their true nature. I help people heal from emotional traumas and patterns with sound and vibrational healing work that I do. And I use a te technique of breath work that I'm trained in um, that helps people access, you know, move, move energy in the body and access that sort of deeper love within themselves. Um, and those tools have been profound for my life. So that's naturally what I coach. Um, and I, I usually start with, with the awakening, which is pointing into awareness and giving people tools and in, you know, insights to help them find that awareness within themselves and then meditations and support to keep working with that. Because that's a, that's like, I do that every day, all day long. That's a practice of, you know, meditation doesn't stop when you get off the cushion. It's life, right? Life is meditation, actually. And, um, and what I find with my clients is that what we talk about is we talk about this, the challenges that came up and how they might see that from the view of awareness. So they can have their own ahas that help them like next time that comes around, they, they see it and live it differently. Um, so there's the awakening practices. Then I do biofield tuning, which is the healing with sound and vibration with uh, Eileen McCusick's method where I, I scan the body or scan the auric or biofield the, that extends about six feet around our bodies. Um, and I bring tuning forks into the field and those tuning forks are amazing because when we bring them into the field, they can detect resistance in the field or incoherence in the field. And I like to think of that as like, those are the traumatic places of where you've had trauma in your life sometime in the past. And it, it, it got imprinted as like a dissonance, like a dissonant energy. And the dissonance doesn't want to stay there because it takes energy to stay in dissonance. It's much easier for it to be in harmony. And so it will naturally start to release when we bring tuning forks into the field. Um, and so I work combing through the field in these 90 minute sessions to help people release those old patterns. And then they often feel lighter and freer. And that complements the, the meditation because like, physically they're releasing those patterns in the body and the breath work does something similar just in a little bit of a different way it also works on that self-love which so many people have trouble like 
finding their own love and acceptance of who they really are, of feeling deep, deeply knowing that you're okay, that you're whole, that you're perfect, that there's this awareness, right? Doesn't need anything to be whole. It doesn't need to be fixed. Like, you know, that we're love and I'm, a, I'm just, my mission is to help people awaken to each person that, to the love that they are and to feel that love for themselves because when they feel that love, then every interaction you have in the world is from that place of love and compassion. And that's what's going to change the world that we all want. Okay, mic drop on that. Um, no, I'm, and you're, I'm assuming since you are not living in a huge metropolitan area that you work with people remotely? I do. Okay. Yeah. Almost all my work is remote now, actually, which is great because that means the whole world is my client potential. <laughs> you know, I that was one thing early on in the pandemic. I thought I'm OK with this. I'm an introvert by nature, so I'm happy reaching out, you know, and um, but that means there's no walls. Right. There's because, no, walls. you know, we can put them up, but they're really the whole world. We can connect. Should How exciting we is that? Right. It's great. You know, Miss Pollyanna here. Oh, there's some upsides to this. <laughs> no, completely. I mean, I love my job because I'm connecting with people all over the world. And yeah. it feels so good to talk to somebody in Australia and then talk to somebody in Europe and, it's, you know, wherever. It's really fun. So a couple parting questions for you. We'll put all your links and stuff in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about that. People will be able to find you. And Thank I'm going to encourage our listeners to find you and check you out more, listen. Um, but I also am wondering, you know, I asked in the pre-interview um, what you're reading right now. Yeah. So do you remember what you told me you were reading? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> you remind me what I told you. Oh, I, I don't know. Should I be that nice to tell you what you're reading? <laughs> Which well, one? at the time you said, yeah. told me you were reading Breath by James Nestor. Yeah. Are you still reading that? I finished that book, but it's a great book. So we can just quickly talk about yeah, it. Tell me what your takeaway first. What was the premise of the book and what was your takeaway from the book? Yeah. So the premise of the book, um, Breath by James Nestor, is that we can that we sort of ignore the breath in Western society and the power of the breath. And there's so, you know, our disease and issues that many people are facing are actually tied to various aspects of the breath. So whether it's mouth breathing and the fact that, you know, mouth breathing is not good for us, that we weren't built to mouth breathe. And he does this experiment on himself and then describes how it wreaked havoc with his system. <laughs> so he convinces you by the end of it, like, oh yeah, mouth breathing is bad. <laughs> bad. bad. We'll put some labels on that one. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> bad. Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, in the relative world here, we're right. speaking about, right. You know, of course I agree with you. There is no relative, there's no absolute bad, but in this relative it's world, it's not beneficial. Let's just not. say it doesn't help us. It does not help us or like orthodontics. And he talks all about orthodontics and how kind of classical orthodontics create these small mouths that many of us have. I'm one of them. Um, and some of the issues with that, you know, and constricting our breathing and allergies and um, sinuses and various issues from that 
and digestive. I mean, you by the by the end, you're just like, whoa, wow, we need some serious course corrections on that. So he did a beautiful job of walking. That's not the those are the only two things he goes into depth on others to really caused me to be excited about um, paying more attention to the breath, um, breathing, you know, breathing more deeply into the belly, learning, learning to actually pay attention to that. Um, I was already breathing through the nose, but I, I didn't always, um, I paid attention to that about 10 years ago and some other things that I listened to. Um, uh, yeah. So just doing some practices that actually pay attention to that chewing. He talks about the connections to chewing and breathing and how it's really good to, you know, chew, how we need to chew and chew mm, things that are more chewy <laughs> as opposed to just soft foods all the time. So yeah, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's a wow. All right. Well, I like to ask people what they're reading. Yeah. And um, I don't think question. I've read that book. I have listened. I believe I've listened to him being interviewed because what you're saying is sparking some things, but um, very cool. Well, Holly, last parting words of wisdom. What do you want our listeners to end this podcast remembering about what you've shared today? Is there one thing? To know that you're not your thoughts. That if you feel confused, that you feel like you're stuck in the muddy waters, take a step back and ask yourself, who is the one that knows this doubt? Who is the one that, that is questioning? And notice that there's that there is a, a an awareness, there's an essential being that you are, that doubt may be a part of you, maybe here, but it's not what you are, that you are infinite, you are infinitely whole and wise and loving. That's what each and every one of us is. That's what we always will be. It's always available. Um, so if you're if you're feeling in pain and you're feeling small, there's I just want you to 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 have the inspiration to step beyond that into what you really are. Nice to breathe the breath of inspiration in. Nice way to link the two thoughts. All right, labels and no labels, no limits podcast listeners. Um, with me, I'd like to thank Holly. Holly, I have so enjoyed this conversation with you today. I'm inspired. Um, I've had fun, which is always a, a mark for me of like, wow, that was great. Um, but I think the work you're doing is so powerful and I appreciate it. I appreciate your courage in the world for showing up as you. Thank you. I appreciate your courage for showing up as you. I'm, I'm equally inspired by you and the work that you do, and especially the no labels, no limits, because that really resonates with me. It was a place I was stuck to for a long time. And, um, and there's, there's so much um, beauty and freedom in showing people they don't need to be stuck in labels and limits. So. I think it's a t-shirt waiting to happen, but I just can't think of a visual for it. So <laughs> it completely is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you to everybody listening. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. 
You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.